chapter 15 of John's Gospel. Chapter 15. I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, then he, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If 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 they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they did do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. 
and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Amen. I'd like to welcome uh, to um, our church here this morning, Dan Dan um, Alcantara. Yep. It's a great last name, that. Uh, uh, there's a great footballer called Tiago Alcantara. Um, they put in a brilliant performance yesterday, and uh, well, we're not looking for a performance from you, <laughs> but we're looking forward to, to what God has to say through you. Um, Dan is from Chicago originally, mm-hmm. so that, that may be betrayed with his accent. Um, but he's also uh, now based in Straven, so you know we're working on the accent. Is that right? Yeah, we're working. On. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Dan assures me there's only two pieces of heresy in his sermon today, so that should keep you awake. And uh, and and hopefully the Lord will uh, speak powerfully through you. So welcome, Dan. All right, thank you. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Let me just pray before I begin properly. Um, Dear God, thank you so much for this time of worship that we have had so far this morning. For this opportunity that we have had to gather and to sing praises to you, our mighty, loving, saving God. And as I open up your word for us this morning, God, help help me to speak clearly Help the words that we see here be opened up for us to see and help our hearts to be softened and molded into what you want us to be as I preach this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it is really good to be with you all this morning. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here, especially as the second half of March, my family and I were all locked down, um, taking our own turns having COVID um, after managing to avoid it for two years, including moving internationally from Poland in 2020, um, which is another whole story. Uh, But we're continuing today looking at Jesus' farewell discourse with his disciples. And a big feature of John's gospel are these so-called I am statements that sometimes he answers a question simply by stating, I am he, or I am. And sometimes he does it, um, he answers it with a metaphor. He'll say something like, I am this. And he does that to show us and the original readers and those who were there an aspect of his character. And that continues today as we look at Jesus' final I am statement before his arrest. And when, when someone important is leaving, we want to know that things will be okay. We want more than anything to know that they'll be coming back, that this isn't a forever goodbye. And now that Judas has gone, speaking these words to his disciples, talking about leaving, It's no wonder that Jesus keeps instructing the remaining 11 not to be troubled. What Jesus offers them is a word that even though he's going away, he'll continue to be close. He promised to send them the Holy Spirit when he has ascended to the Father, 
And in our passage today, Jesus shows his disciples, the remaining 11, just how close he'll continue to be with them after he's gone. And my hope during our time here in John 15 is that as for the disciples, that we would see our dependence on both him and the Holy Spirit to experience the life that comes when we abide or remain rooted to Jesus. And we'll be looking at this under two headings. Um, First, we'll look at the call to abide in Christ. And then second, we'll see the life of abiding in Christ. So we'll start with verses 1 to 8, and we'll look at the call to abide in Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I don't know how often we might consider vines, at least not the sort that are supposed to grow fruit. We'll see vines of ivy growing on houses. But if you, if you look at photos of wine country, there's rows and rows of vines growing grapes. It's this, this image, these images, they look so peaceful We can imagine spending a holiday exploring a vineyard, tasting and relaxing, enjoying our time there. There's there's a reason why they get placed on promotional material for tourism boards. What Jesus is doing here is he's continuing to show us who he is and what the Father is like. And the imagery is less familiar to us in our context, but we have a sense of what it's like. We can imagine a beautiful garden growing lots of good things to eat. And in in saying that he is the true vine, Jesus is holding himself up in contrast with another vine. This image of a vine, it was often used by God's prophets to describe God's people. And hundreds of years before this, back in Isaiah chapter 5, we're given this image of a vineyard that was planted with choice vines. All of the fields were cleared of stone. It was set up to be the perfect place for these vines to grow. But rather than good cultivated fruit... The vines produced wild fruit, fruit that was inedible, that would make you sick, fruit that should not have been there in God's people. 
But Jesus is the true vine. And he is the vine that grows as it was meant to. Healthy, only producing that which is good. What sinful humanity, what we failed to do, Jesus did it perfectly. And by stating that he is the true vine and that we are the branches, Jesus is again stating that he is the only true source of life. Now, remember last week, Jesus is the life. He is the only source of life. The life that comes from him is not like a battery that needs recharging or replacing. When I got my phone a few months, uh, 18 months ago, the battery, it could last all day and then some. And now that I've had it for the last 18 months, it simply, it, it can't get that much out of it. The, the chemistry that's there in that battery, it's degrading, and it's only going to last for so long. But the life that comes from Jesus, that life is more organic. And as he says, the branches, they get their energy when they abide or remain attached to the vine. If you, if you were to cut a branch from a tree, that branch doesn't continue to live. It withers and it dies. And so Jesus is calling his disciples and us to abide in him, to remain in him, and to hold fast and to rely on him alone. There is no other way to experience a real life. But how how do we answer this call to abide? We can can see in verse 3 that this life is actually entered into through the word. So verse 3, it says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. The word spoken and working in the hearts of the eleven, that is what has made them clean. And this is a call right back to chapter 13. If you have a Bible with you, look with me at chapter 13, verse 10. In chapter 13, at the beginning of this whole thing, after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, he says, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And then here, Jesus tells them that they are clean. What's made them clean is the word. See, it's the word. It's God's word that works. This is a very powerful thing. And as we continue, notice that this is not a call that can be, we can be ambivalent toward. Either we are branches that abide in him, or we're branches that are removed. This, this, is, this is possibly the greatest cultural blasphemy that we can utter these days. It would seem that people are inherently binary. We are either for Christ or against him. But this isn't something that we can shrink from. Jesus, if Jesus is the true vine, then we must abide in him in order to have life. 
And so will you answer the call to abide, to believe in him and in him alone? If, if you felt yourself drifting away from Jesus, don't let go to try and find life or truth somewhere else. Because it can only be found in him. And continuing from here, Jesus shows his disciples what a life of abiding looks like. And so we'll look at our second heading, the life of abiding in Christ. Now, years, years and years ago, uh, my wife and I, we experienced a catastrophic hard drive failure in our laptop. All of the photos that we have of the kids, we had three kids at the time when it happened, we got four now. Um, All of the photos of the kids when they were younger, they were stored on that hard drive. But the trouble was that those images were not backed up. That hard drive was the only copy of those photos. And we still have the drive in case we're able to do some kind of restoration thing on it, but there is no guarantee. And even if we are able to do that, there's no telling how much data has actually been lost. And so now we pay for cloud backups so that we have a contingency in case something happens to one of our, or when something happens to one of our computers, something is always going to go wrong with one of them. We have an insurance plan for all of these memories of our family over the years. But unless we keep running those backups regularly, we're still going to risk losing something. And in our daily lives, there's a temptation to treat the gospel, to treat the saving news of what Jesus has done, to treat that like it's something that we can believe once and then we're done. You know, it's something that keeps us safe no matter how we live. Because one day years ago, we prayed a prayer and then decided to go our own way. At least then, like if this whole Bible thing turns out to be real in the end, at least we're covered. Right? Except what Jesus shows us here is that responding to his call to salvation to abiding in him will necessarily mean that our lives will be changed. To abide in Christ is to experience the life that comes with it. And what a life it is. As we go through this, we we don't have time to do all of this justice. Um, At Cornhill, we spent nine mornings looking just at this chapter alone and in our devotions. Uh, But for us today, there's three points for us to consider to see the life that Jesus brings to us as we abide. And so first, Jesus describes a life of fruitfulness. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Then finally in verse 8, this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you go into a garden, if you look at branches on a tree, and you see branches that aren't producing leaves or fruit, then they're dead branches. 
It's only when the branch is producing fruit that it can give anyone joy. The fruit described here is growth in godliness. But what, what does that look like? In, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul very helpfully tells us exactly what that fruit looks like. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. A life spent abiding in Christ will increasingly be a life marked by these characteristics. It's a life that is increasingly uncomfortable with the presence of sin within us. It's a life that begins with a love for Christ and a hatred of sin. And it doesn't seem that way now, but often we're often a bad judge of how far we've progressed as we look back at where Jesus has brought us from. There's also a marked change in our prayer life. Look at verse 7 with me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There are, there are many who would take the second half of that verse while ignoring the first. But a growing knowledge of God's word and having it work in you will change the way that you pray. The things that you are concerned for will be the things that he is concerned for. Because Jesus isn't just telling his disciples to ask for whatever trivial thing their hearts might desire. Instead, he's showing them that their prayers need to be shaped by God's word. More fruitfulness will lead to praying and asking for those things that God loves to give. And all of this growth, it does come at a price. The father, who is the vine dresser, remember, he prunes those branches that are abiding in the true vine. He takes his garden shears and he removes the dead growth, the disease, the damage, in order for the branch to focus on growing fruit. And if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you'll have experienced, you'll have experienced this in some way. There are certain desires that were there at the start that controlled us. You know, whether it was greed or lust or anger, like these things, these desires are not now what they were when you first began, are they? And this process is simple, but it's not easy. As we experience more fruitfulness and more pruning, there's places or websites that we no longer go to. There's relationships which have had to change or which have had to end. But this is a thing. It is ongoing. And so keep doing battle with these things as you remain fixed on Christ because the reward is more fruit. It's a closer relationship with the Lord, with our creator and our savior, with the one true vine who gives us life. He gives us a life that actually means something. A life of abiding is a life of fruitfulness. 
but it's also a life of fellowship. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So often we, so often we spend time agonizing over what it is that God wants us to do, when so often he's made it very clear. Now, back at the beginning, what happened after Adam and Eve sinned? Cain, their son, raised his hand against his brother and murdered him out of jealousy and hatred. And from then onward, so much of what we read in the Bible is about hatred or enmity between brothers. And notice that Jesus doesn't merely recommend love for one another here. He commands it. And it can only happen if we are abiding in Christ. The entire basis for this love that is the entire basis for this is the love with which Jesus loved us. As he said, as I have loved you. And this isn't the first time that he's said this again in this section, going from chapters 13 to 17. Now, back in chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's the proof that we are his. That's another one of the fruits that proves that we are his, as he points out in verse 8. And on this side of the cross, on this side of what Jesus has done, we can see this need, this requirement to love each other even more. Because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, that means that we belong to him. We can look back and see the love with which he loved us. His disciples were looking forward as he was speaking this to them. And so if you are a Christian here today, that means that you are more closely related to your Christian brothers and sisters than to the people who raised you. Because we're bound by something stronger than just biology. This is why we weep with our brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution for their faith. We think of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are being persecuted by a tyrant. The same can be said for places like North Korea and Pakistan. We hurt with them because they're our people. We're all branches abiding in the true vine of Jesus. And so when, we're when one is experiencing hardship from out with, we hurt with them. And this love for one another, is, it's not easy because we are not yet what we will be. On, on this side of eternity, we are still sinners who mess up. We say the wrong thing, or we act with the wrong motives. But as we seek Christ together, we're able to extend grace to one another, just as we received grace from Jesus. And it's because this love is not love in a vacuum. It's a love that finds its very source and motivation in the love with, Je with which Jesus loved us. 
So an abiding relationship with Jesus will result in more fruitfulness and increased fellowship. And we need both of these things because it is also a life that brings a challenge. Because a life of abiding in Christ is a life of friction. Just as Jesus wants his disciples to have peace and comfort while knowing that he's going away, he also wants them to be realistic. The life that they have been called to, it is a good one, but it's not an easy one. There will be some here who know this all too well. Because casting your, light, casting your lot with Jesus has made life harder, hasn't it? People who were once friends and family now seem to be strangers, if not outright hostile. But we shouldn't be surprised about this. Look again at verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, have, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, persecute, they will also persecute you. The longer that we abide in Christ, the more he changes us into what we're supposed to be, the clearer we'll see the difference of belonging to him and belonging to the world. The world hates what it does not own. It hates what it cannot control. And so while we are here, we will necessarily rub the world the wrong way. Now, back in Straven, our, our church and pastor in a town of 7,000 people, um, was named and shamed by a group on Twitter over, over the stance regarding prayer as a form of conversion therapy. Even there, in a town that nobody knows about, it, there's no escaping the fact that we are at odds with the world's agenda. And it seems bleak to consider this, but how often do we find comfort when we meet someone who has experienced the same hardship as us. Someone who knows the struggle and can say, yes, it is real and it is hard. When we look at Jesus, we don't just see our Savior and our Lord. We see the one who experienced the same persecutions, and yet he did it without sin. As we experience this life of friction with the world around us, we can endure it, knowing that the one who rescued us from destruction did the same. Just as the eleven had these words to prepare them for Jesus' departure, so we have this to help us as we wait for his return. We have his words to abide in us as they enable us to live a life of fruitfulness, fellowship, and friction. As the Holy Spirit works in us, then we will be helped as we bear witness. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. 
This is something that is necessarily in public. It's an intimidating thing, but just as the disciples were called to bear witness as those who were with Jesus from the beginning, so are we called to bear witness to what we now know. Jesus said that we would hold fast. He said this so that we would hold fast as we experience rejection and marginalization in this world. So as you abide in him, don't neglect the call to belong to him publicly. And remember that all of this is spirit-powered. We're not left alone to experience this, but the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us to endure. The Holy Spirit takes God's word and he puts it to work in our hearts. And when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper, he's not describing a shoulder to cry on. Instead, he's describing one who strengthens and empowers us, who makes us able to do these things. He's given us the Holy Spirit because he loves us. And so abide in his love revel in the gift of his grace consider how far away from hope you once were and look at the savior who brought you and rescued you from that he did that because he loves you and finally remember that as we abide in christ's love we are also to have his word abiding in us It's his word that made us clean, and it's his word applied by the Holy Spirit that prunes us and makes us able to bear fruit and to enjoy fellowship with one another. Remember that there are only two ways to respond to his word, either with repentance and belief, which leads to salvation, or with rejection and unbelief, leading to condemnation. Remember that at one time, all Christians lived life rejecting the word of the Lord until he made us able to believe. And as we go through this life experiencing the friction of being at odds with the world, remember that Jesus was first rejected. Let me close with these words from chapter 16, where Jesus continues and says, I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Amen. Going to stand.